We'll continue in our series tonight about uh, in the book of Proverbs and specifically studying the fear of the Lord. It's important that we know, first of all, that the fear of the Lord and wisdom are inseparable. You cannot have wisdom without the fear of the Lord. How do I know that? Because Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In chapter 9, verse 10, if you look there, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The identical phrase is used in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he's not saying that it is wise to fear the Lord. He's saying, without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. It's not just a good idea. You cannot have God's wisdom if you don't fear the Lord. Now, you didn't say you don't have any kind of wisdom at all. This is, a very, this, is, this is, again, where wisdom would come in to distinguish between two kinds of wisdom. Let's take our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at about six, chap, six passages tonight. If you are like me, I like mile markers. I like knowing how far we have to go. I like to know the GPS, and I like trying to lower the estimated time of arrival. Down, 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 down. Now, that's not possible at this sermon to lower the estimated time of arrival, but at least you'll know how far we have to go. We've got about six uh, passages tonight. What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? Well, first of all, we need to distinguish between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. The fear of the Lord distinguishes between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have human wisdom which comes from man's spirit, and then there is godly wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. You ever meet somebody that is uh, one of these um, really smart, kind of we might call a salt-of-the-earth guy, great, great um, demeanor, makes money, kind of guy that, you know, kind of is, uh, what's that seven-foot book of a uh, seven-foot shelf of books that is a classic, you know, all the classics, Aristotle and Plutarch. Um, what is it called? Is it Harper? Harvard, thank you, Harvard, the Harvard classics. And uh, the kind of person that, it's just a, you know, a, a Harper, I don't know what that was. Uh, that was the Harper, I think I was reading that magazine, that was the one. But, uh, but, but somebody who just kind of gets what's going on politically, they understand finances, they always have a nice word to say, they kind of have insight, and it seems like, wow, that's really smart. And you start wondering, wait a second, that's a nice guy. I'm living, trying to live for God. I guess you're supposed to, if you live for God, you become a nice guy, but that's a nice guy. He doesn't, he's not even saved. Well, what you're saying there is man's wisdom. It is that which man's spirit can attain. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that there's a difference. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Kind of makes you wonder if we would have him in for Bible conference. He's not using excellency of speech or the wisdom of man. He's in weakness and he shakes when he talks. 
I don't know. He said, in my speech, verse 4, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You can see politicians, motivational speakers, right? He said, it was not that, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, I think we all want to have the demonstration of the spirit, but when he says the demonstration of the spirit, God is a spirit A spirit is invisible. A spirit hath not flesh and bones. So when I say a demonstration, one of the classic moves when I was a teenager, I tried to perfect when I wanted to be a preacher, the clap and one of these. Demonstration of the spirit. If you would simply do this, it's not easy to hold that as it used to be. That's what we mean by a demonstration of the Spirit. Hold on a second. If the Spirit is invisible, then it can't be something necessarily that is demonstrable, that is demonstrated. It's something invisible. The demonstration of the Spirit is not how sweaty the preacher gets. The demonstration of the Spirit is not how loud he preaches, or by the way, how soft he preaches. God uses all kinds of different personalities. The demonstration of the Spirit is what is happening in your heart when you hear the Word of God. It is, it is doing something invisible in your life. I don't know about you. Some of the best preaching I've ever heard was nonsense. People just get up and just let her rip. They just forgot about context, you know, as a guy says, straight out of context. They, 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 they forget about rightly contextualizing the Word of God, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But boy, they looked like they were having fun, and people come from mile a, a mile around to, to watch them burn in the pulpit. Well, that, that doesn't mean that God can't use a person with great energy and zeal and a man who sweats. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, all that aside, when you get done, what's changed on the inside? How has the Spirit of God spoken to you? And Paul said, I was not a dynamic speaker like Apollos, but it was demonstration of the Spirit. It made an impact in your life. And he said, verse number five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I wasn't looking for you to sign, subscribe to my paper or get on my, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel when I left. I wasn't looking for you to say, I got to listen to that guy's podcast. It was People, his desire, his goal was that people were more impressed with God when he left rather than him. He says, how be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. See, the wisdom of the world would say it makes sense that an influential preacher would use excellent speech, enticing words. He would be smooth as silk. People would love to listen to him. And by the way, those are all tools that God can use. Paul said, I didn't use that. I didn't use that. I don't know if he could have or I don't don't know. I, I kind of feel that it seems to me, reading the scripture, that Paul was more of a, you know, uh, just a rough, rough as a cob, as they say, kind of guy. Just, just rough-hewn and didn't care, went straight to the issue. He wasn't interested in making friends, per se. 
I think he had to work hard at being kind. I mean, he made his living arresting people before he got saved. And he arrested people who didn't agree with him religiously. He was, he was straight as an arrow. I think he had to work at being nice. But Paul said, when I came to Corinth, one of the, I mean, it's basically him going to Harvard to present the gospel. He said, I determined not to quote all of the Greeks or any even Roman philosophers like Marcus Aurelius. He said, I'm, I'm not going to quote people that would make you think twice and three times. And wow, that's good. He said, no, I was going to come with the Bible and lean on it and say, Jesus Christ and him crucified is my message, whether you like it or not. And so he did. He said, now we have wisdom. We have wisdom, verse number seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Again, it's invisible, which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus came, the prince and the pauper was the life of Jesus Christ. He came as the prince, dressed in rags, dressed in common culture. And so because of that, people looked at him and said, that can't be him. The princes of this world missed it. He said, if they had been thinking with God's wisdom, they would have recognized him for who he is, but they didn't. But as it is written, verse number 9, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is often quoted as if it's referring to heaven. And I'm, I know that you and I cannot imagine what heaven would be like, but that is not what this passage is talking about. He's saying the princes of this world looked at Jesus Christ and said he's got nothing. In fact, he's worthy of dying. But he, had, he was the wisdom of God in human form. The princes of the world looked through Jesus. They didn't see him for who he was. Why? Because I have not seen, neither have, hath entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us. How? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You want to know what's in God's file cabinet? The Spirit knows. You know what's in the archives? I'd love to go in the Smithsonian archives. You ever heard about that place? They say they have so many artifacts, probably millions of artifacts, and, and they only have a portion of them on display. I'd love to go back. You know who knows everything about that? Those Smithsonian guys. There's some uh, curator that knows the database uh, exactly what we have. You want something from the Civil War? He can pull it up. You want something from uh, the War for Independence? He can pull that up. You want something from, you know, uh, the, the day that JFK was shot in Dallas? He can pull it up. They've got it all. That's kind of like what he's saying about the Spirit of God. You and I have access to the archives of everything God wants us to know. Who is the curator of that? The Holy Spirit of God as we read his word. So we get a chance to know those things, but it is, it is not going to be accessed by man's wisdom. It's going to be accessed by the Spirit of God who is the arbiter, the curator of God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us access to the things of God. 
He's revealed them to us by his spirit. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Who is your curator? Who remembers, other than Google, everything that you've ever done? Who remembers that memory of when you were seven, of when you were 14? Who remembers the weather on your wedding day? Who remembers the way you felt when you got engaged? Who remembers when you got your first car or you began your first job? Who remembers when you had to go to the hospital and get sewn up? You remember all those things. Now, maybe you don't remember as as much as you used to. But you're the curator of your memories. What things knoweth the spirit of a man? Uh, What things uh, knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. If you're going to know God, it's not going to be you climbing up and demanding entrance. It's going to be you accessing the things of God by means of the spirit of God. You can't force God to show you these things. But on the flip side, the Holy Spirit is waiting to reveal the things of God to you. It's man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Now he says in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world. What is he saying? Well, we have the spirit of the world in a sense, man's wisdom, man's spirit. We have that spirit. But he's saying that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You are not going to know the things that are freely given to us. How much does it cost for a library card? It's free, right? You know what's awesome about the things of God? The library of God is free. And it's not taxpayer-supported. It's the eternal and immeasurable riches of Christ supported. All of that is free to you, and that is what he has given. The way he has given it to us is through the Spirit, which is of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak. So now Paul is saying, this is why I didn't use man's wisdom, because man's wisdom cannot access the treasures of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, you notice, we, we, some people say comparing spiritual uh, scripture with scripture. And that is true. We are comparing scripture with scripture. He is referring to the scripture. How do I know? He said it's not in the words which man's... I love how God, how he writes these things. He says not in the words, but which, which the man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Now what's missing is the noun there, right? He said not in the words which man's wisdom, but which the Holy Ghost. Well, what's missing? It's the hidden wisdom. The word is not even used. Well, what, what is he talking about? It's kind of a metaphor. It's a type of the fact that when you're going to go and look at the Word of God, you have to get in there spiritually, and you will find out the riches of, and treasures of the knowledge of God. It's just kind of interesting that in, in, a, gram, in a, grammar, uh, a grammar sense, grammatical sense, how he even hides the Word in that verse. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, when you get into the Bible... You're not going to walk up to the Bible and flop it open and go, God, give me what you got. You've got to approach it from a humble standpoint. See, man's wisdom says, okay, all right, we're going to get this thing on the wall. We're going to get this thing in a, an Excel sheet. We're going to color code it. We're going to do all that. And, and there's, you know, there's some value in that. Categorize 
put things over here, classify, separate. We're going to compare. But never forget, the work of learning the Bible is a spiritual work. And if you in your carnal wisdom approach the Bible, you might actually be doing more harm than good to yourself and to others. Because you're not intending to be led by his spirit. You want to master the Bible. You want to get a hold of this thing and wrangle it. And believe me, I, I know the feeling. I, I get tired of not understanding everything in the Bible. I, I want to know, okay. Man, sometimes the minor prophets is like a soup. What is going on in there, right? And then the other passages, it seem like they're crystal clear. And I, I need to study. All right, the, the days and, and the creation account in Genesis, I'm going to nail that thing down. Be careful. Be careful. How you approach the Bible will determine what God shows you. Because if you walk up to the librarian and say, librarian, you walk up to Madam Librarian, and you come up to her, and you say, show me some books on, uh, uh, on steam-powered locomotives. She says, oh, you want to... Okay, well, if she has any self-respect whatsoever, she's not going to say, oh, yes, sir, right over here, self-steam-powered locomotives right here. We have these books here. There's some wonderful ones. We have other ones in the back. I can get those for you. You know what she's going to do? She's going to kind of take you with a grain of salt. Like, you don't come into the library and start shouting demands. Well, I pay for this place. I pay my taxes. And it's my response. Uh, you, it's my privilege to come in here and get whatever I want. Yeah, maybe so, but here's the question. Why do you need her help if you're so great? Because you don't know where stuff is in the library. And you don't know what she has available. You've got to be humble when you walk in. You know? And sometimes I've walked in for other people. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm looking for some stuff on, on this. It's for my kids, right? And you're asking them. And, you're, and, and they're, you know, if you treat the librarian right, now I'm not just saying it's always a woman, but it's always a woman. And if you treat her right, she'll go above and beyond. And she will even sometimes email you extra resources that are available at other libraries if you treat her right. If you will treat the Holy Spirit right when you approach the Bible, not walk in and say, all right, God, I got this problem. Give me something now. Well, I mean, it's there. And you're a child of God. You're, he paid for you. Your salvation is eternal. I mean, you have a right. You have access to the throne. But you're probably not going to get the same response from the Holy Spirit. And so he said, when we, when we come to the, to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. But here's what's interesting about this. It's almost as if you come to the library and you're ready to search for a subject. And the librarian says, oh, I'm glad you're here. We have some things for you to study today. Man's wisdom says, no, no, no. I come to the library to tell you why I'm coming. I'm here to study these subjects. These are important to me. When you come to this library, oftentimes the librarian says, here's something that I would like for you to study. So you know what that means? I've got to be humble when I approach the word of God. I've got to say, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me today? And I'll be honest, sometimes I've got a project to do tomorrow. I ain't got time to sit here and talk with you about what you want to teach me. But that's sometimes why we miss the hidden wisdom, the things of the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost teacheth. You see, we want to learn as if we can suck the juice out of this thing. 
And that's like going to a, a classroom or going to the library where you're telling the person who is the instructor, here's what you'll do for me today. And the instructor says, no, I have, a, I have a lecture already planned for you. Q&A will be at the end. Not now. You ever feel like you just like to say God? And you hear lost people say this sometimes. If I ever get to heaven, I got a few questions for God. <laughs> Look like some kind of a parrot or something, you know? Um, yeah, I'm sure the creator of the universe is just waiting with bated breath for your questions. And, and, and the audacity, the, the hubris of that statement, as if God wouldn't have questions for you. Hey, Job was an upright man, one that escheweth evil. He feared God. And when God showed up, he didn't let Job ask any questions. He asked Job question, 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 question. Maybe when we approach the Bible to get something out of it, we need to say, Lord, what is it that you want to teach me today? So he says in verse number 13, which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things, that's the words, with spiritual. You ought to be able to cross-reference in your Bible. You ought to say, hmm, that's interesting. Hold your place. You ought to make notes in your Bible. You ought to write it down in the margin and write the reference and write it the way you understand it. Not the way you want someday people to look back at your beautiful, wonderful Bible and your awesome notes. The problem with that is probably nobody's going to read them other than your kids. You need to know what you meant by that note. So write it down. Sometimes I, I see the notes that I write in there. I'm like, was I trying to be funny or smart or wit, quick, you know, witty? What, what, what was that? It doesn't mean anything. Did a little tiny thing. You need to know, write it down in a way that you understand it so that when you are, cro- and then write it down in both places so that now you have two places that remind you of one another. This is how we learn the Bible. He says, but the natural man, verse 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. So God says, what do you know about salvation? Lord, honestly, without you, I know nothing about it. Teach me. Well, what do you want to know about this? Everything. I don't know anything. You've got to become a fool so that you can be wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Well, you know, it's like the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Along with a lot of things that people say the Bible says. The wisdom of this world thinks it has a... a, I get it, I get it, it's it's the good book, tells us about the man upstairs. They have no idea. Why? It's foolishness unto them. Because they can't imagine a God who's in charge of their lives. He says it's foolishness with God. By the way, the wisdom of God is foolishness with man. But the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. What you're going to find with a person who has wisdom of this world is that he is, under the surface, one of the most vain people you've ever met. Because he literally thinks that he's better than you. And in a sense, when it comes to knowledge, education, finances, he is. He is better than you. But spiritually speaking, None of us are worthy. Only he's worthy. 
Take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. So first of all, the fear of the Lord distinguishes between man's wisdom and God's. There are two different kinds of wisdom. And secondly, the fear of the Lord judges with God's word rather than my opinion. God's word, not my opinion. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. We see here Jesus ministered and will minister in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Count these with me now. Verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord, one, shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, two. And understanding, three. The spirit of counsel, four. And might, five. The spirit of knowledge, six. And of the fear of the Lord, seven. Now that is helpful when you go come to the book of Revelation. You see the seven spirits of God. That seems to be a good cross-reference for the seven spirits of God. The spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Now watch what this does. The spirit of the Lord is resting upon him, and it contains all facets of verse number two. And what does it do? Verse three, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, he has quick understanding. Well, what does that produce? And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. What was wrong with Jesus' eyes? Nothing. He had no sin, and yet he did not judge after the sight of his human eyes. You'd think if anybody could judge after the human eye, it would be Jesus Christ. He's made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification. He is the wisdom of God in human form, but he didn't even use his eyes. It says he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. What his ears, human ears could hear, he did not use that to make his judgment. What did he use? But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is coming at the second advent when he comes to the battle of Armageddon. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. The scripture tells us that it's a sword in Revelation. It tells us a sword. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's talking about the words of God. What does he use to smite the earth? The word of God. How that is connected, I do not know. But somehow, the very words of God will be used as a weapon at the second advent. It's going to come out of his mouth. He created the world with his words. And he's going to use the words to destroy his enemies. It says, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. What is he using to judge? He's using righteousness, equity, And the word of God to judge. The fear of the Lord judges with God's word, not my opinion, based on what I see or what I hear. Take your Bibles to Joshua, I'm sorry, John chapter 2. I want to say Jonah, but that would be in the wrong place altogether. So what is he doing? He is... He is using God's eyes instead of his own. Walking in the fear of the Lord means using God's eyes instead of my own eyes. 
So I see somebody walk up to me, and I have my opinion. I've been around the block. I've seen a few people. I know what this person's all about. Be careful. That's not righteous judgment. You're judging after the sight of your eyes or the hearing. Well, what I heard about her was, be careful. Just because someone says something doesn't make it true. You have to be able to look beneath the surface using God's eyes, not your own eyes. Well, I've seen a lot. You haven't seen enough. By the way, God's not interested in how much you've seen. Because at this point, probably you could teach the Holy Spirit what's going on with that person. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you what's going on with that person. So when you, when you see a situation, hello, independent Baptists. When you see a situation in church or you, 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 you meet someone in, in, at your workplace or you meet someone, a, a neighbor or a family member, something's going on. I, I'll tell you, I know what's happening in there. I just, I'll just, no, I just, I'm, I've seen it. Be careful with that. That's not righteous judgment. Jesus himself didn't do it. Look what he says, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, the Passover and the feast day, I know I read fast, but you've got a Bible right there. Follow along with me. Forgive me. We've got to get done. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And that's the key. What is in man? My sister, youngest sister, she said years ago, we were talking about someone. We like to talk as, 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 uh, as young people, you know, siblings together. We would talk about so-and-so, so-and-so, you know. And, and we had a, a bad habit sometimes of gossiping. And sometimes we would be talking about this person. And dad would walk through and he would say, Whoever it was, we're talking about, you know, Bob. And he would say, Bob has a soul. And he would keep walking. <laughs> Just as a reminder, right? But I remember my sister saying one time, we, we were talking about some particular person. We said, they're really nice. It's a really nice person. And she said, they're surface nice, but they're not like us. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that meant, but it was a great statement stuck in my mind. I can't tell you how many times I've had that thought. Oh, oh, he surfaced nice, but he's not like me. You know, Jesus Christ himself did not do that based on just the surface. He knew what was actually in man. He did not judge according to his eyes or his ears. He judged according to righteous judgment. Look what it says in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse number 2. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles is at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. These are his, his brethren, uh, stepbrothers, if you will. And they're saying, Hey, isn't it time for you to start your ministry? Isn't it time for you to go out there? You know? Why? That thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret. He himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. This reminds me of Eliab, the one that said, I know, I know why David came down. I know the naughtiness of thine heart. By the way, Eliab was the one that Samuel looked on and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord said, Look not on the outward appearance. Man looketh on the outward appearance, the Lord looketh on the heart. He said, This is not the one. I've rejected this guy. And so here we find 
Jesus' stepbrothers are saying, hey, you should go out and do that. Go out there, you know, get some notar- get, a, get an Instagram account, get, some, get a platform, get some followers. You know why they were saying that? It says in verse number five, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Why didn't they believe in him? Because they grew up with him. So because he grew up with us, he can't know anything that I don't know. You know what's frustrating? When your sibling has to instruct you in something that you didn't know. The hardest part about that is figuring out how to pretend either A, that you already knew it, or pretend like it's really not that important. Why? You know everything that everybody else around you knows. In fact, you know more. They knew so much they didn't even know who Jesus was. Look at verse 10. For when his brethren were gone up, then when he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Everyone's afraid of talking about Jesus. Why? Because of the fear of man, as we talked about last week. They were not walking in the fear of God. They were afraid of the Jews. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? What does he know that we don't know? Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, I will say this. Just because you go to college or you go to a, a, a seminary does not mean that you know God. Where do you get this doctrine of God? Where does Jesus get his doctrine? He got it from his Father. And he got it from doing the will of God. If you will do the will of God, you'll be a lot further ahead than some egghead somewhere that knows the Bible and doesn't do it. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them in Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? Isn't there an arrest, a warrant for his arrest? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit, we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Here is Christ standing in front of them, and they won't believe it because they're judging according to the appearance. They're looking at Jesus saying, I heard he will come. I think it was like Malachi said that he will suddenly come into his temple. And we don't even know where this guy came from. Well, later on in the passage, it says, we know that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Down in verse 42 or something. It's amazing how duplicitous we can be as humans when we are trying to be the authority. They're looking at the Son of God, the Messiah, whom they have prayed for, and they said, it can't be him. can't be him. Why? He doesn't look like I think he should look. Why? I have a plan. It's a marvelous plan for my entire life, and I know how everything is supposed to go, and I know who are the players. I know who are the NPCs, right, in this thing. I know who are the non-playable characters. I know who is not worthy of being in my, in my drama. I know people that are tyrants. I know the people who are stupid. I know what's up. 
And they had that plan. They had the entire thing laid out. So when Jesus came and didn't fit their plan, they missed it completely. Why? They walked in the fear of man, not the fear of God. The fear of God says, I'm not going to look at the way she appears. I'm going to look underneath that. Now, does God care about the outward appearance? Of course he does. But the outward appearance comes from the inward state. Sometimes we are more focused on the outward appearance, and we want to take the outward appearance and force it inside, or we don't actually care with the inward, we just care about the outward. The Lord says, you've got to look underneath that. Well, I know her, I know that's the way she is, and that's the way she'll always be. Oh, him? No, forget it. That's, you're talking about a guy who will never change. Be careful that you're not using unrighteous judgment. Aren't you glad that Jesus looked at you and I and didn't say, now there's a sinner who is bound for hell, doesn't matter what I do. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. He judged righteous judgment. They said, well, if we don't know who he is, we don't understand how he does it all, then he's mm, not for me. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ did not commit unrighteous judgment, but people looking at him did. Now, we don't have the time to go to it, but James tells us about the earthly wisdom and the wisdom that is from above. Earthly wisdom is based on man's opinion and ability. The wisdom that is from above is the spirit. It is the fruit of the spirit. It's gentle. It's peaceable. Easy to be entreated. That wisdom is not my first reaction. My knee-jerk reaction is to go back in my history book to look at how I've seen and what people have done to me and what I, what I understand from the world and then to make a snap judgment. But our job as believers to walk in the fear of the Lord is to say, I want to see this world. I want to see my job. I want to see my family, my daughter, my mother, my neighbor through the eyes of God. I want to see my situation through the eyes of this book right here. That's the wisdom that is from above. Lord, I humble myself because you know what I think. You know that I know what's going on, but I am not going to submit myself to that. I'm going to submit myself to you. He said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It is diametrically opposed for me to walk according to my own understanding in my own eyes and what I see and to walk in the fear of the Lord. I have to be willing to say, okay, God, you know what I think about this. You know my heart about this person. It would be good for you to pray this. Lord, I think she is A and B and C and D. Lord, I think he is this. I feel like, from my understanding, this is who he is. This is why he does what he does. But, Lord, I want you to know, I need your wisdom for this situation. I need to know what you think about this. And you know where you'll find it? In the Word of God. And as God gives you his wisdom, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality. And hypocrisy. There's a peace that comes with it. There's a joy. There's a goodness and a gentleness that comes with your ascertain, with your discernment, with your judgment about other people. 
So instead of just being, as we are sometimes with people, with our kids, with our spouse, instead, we can judge righteous judgment, allowing the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is working in us, to work in them. Righteous judgment requires moving past appearances to see as God sees. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.